the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. We are less than two months away to the implementation of the sulphur limit. I'm here at the International Maritime Organization with the Head of Air Pollution and Energy Efficiency, Mr. Edmund Hughes. Welcome to the podcast, Edmund. Thank you. I'm also here with our regulatory uh, bloodhound, uh, Anastasios Adamopoulos, and we are discussing everything from uh, 2020 right up to 2050. You, as the uh, you know the leading voice within the Secretariat, have a few things on your agenda at the moment. But, I mean, first and foremost, January the 1st, how confident are you that we are going to see uh, uniform implementation? Absolutely no problems. Shipping industry carries on, and uh, we, we, we start then worrying about carbon from then on. Um, well, I think I'd be, uh, I certainly would be uh, in denial if I suggested that there would be perfection on the 1st of January 2020. I think that would not be necessarily the case, but it's certainly from a view of point of, of where we are now, um, I mean, we are confident in that we are seeing what we expected to see, which is fuels now being placed on the market, compliant fuel oil uh, in many ports. There's surveys being done to suggest that, that, that ports are, are now got the fuel ready and available. Uh, and, and in fact, ships are now beginning to, to stem um, the fuel uh, because they've cleaned their tanks, cleaned their lines, and now they want to be prepared uh, for the 1st of January 2020. So so in respect of, of preparations, it's very good to hear that. Um, we are, as I said, fully expecting fuel to be available in by far the majority of, of, of ports. Um, there may, as you suggest uh, from your question, uh, there may be some local issues regarding supplies, but... But again, we do not see that lasting long. Um, we fully expect uh, uh, full compliance, very, very, uh, you know, from uh, the attempt to be fully compliant from the first of January 2020. Mm. And I mean, a flurry of headlines inevitably as we as we as we get nearer. Some political suggestions that you know, certain governments on on domestic side are going to be um, pulling back on certain things. But that's probably a misinterpretation, I would say. Do you think that's fair? Um, well, I mean, it, the requirement applies to all ships uh, operating in the marine environment. Um, if some governments have a different view, where say for ships operating on rivers, or you know, then that, that they can take a view that's down under their jurisdiction. I mean, IMO we regulate international shipping, and obviously ships trade uh, trading globally. And so, uh, as I say, and the requirement is that they apply to all ships. Mm. So fair to say that you know, in terms of you know the last two or three years of, of hard run-up to this, all of the preparations are there. Um, the confidence is that, you know, the, the, the major problems are, are uh, can be dealt with, I guess. The, I, I would say probably the shift now is going to be focusing on operational concerns. And this is a question of onboard management. This is where the, sort of the nitty-gritty of the rollout is going to really uh, come to life. And, and, and perhaps that's where we're going to see some of the real activity over the next six months. No, and you're, and you're right. And, and, and I think this has been very encouraging because, I mean, 18 months ago even, I was still being asked, you know, is this thing going to be delayed? Is it going to happen? And since then, obviously, we've produced guidance as an organisation uh, on ship implementation planning. And I've known, talking to people throughout this year, that that guidance has been taken up 
and widely uh, applied. Uh, people have been preparing, and, and it's the old adage, you know, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. And, and the good news is that people are doing that. But I agree totally now. The focus should be on on onboard management of the fuel, uh, the need. You know, if you don't love your engineer, then you certainly need to love them now because they, they are going to be at right at the key personnel in terms of managing these new compliant fuels and making sure that they operate uh, uh, with them uh, successfully and effectively. And I think, you know, as I said, it's, it's important that, that, that both, and also the shore as well, because you have to think about the, the operational risks and the procedures and the training, uh, and that, that that's also an issue for the shore side. But, but certainly... Uh, the fuels we expect, uh, you know, are, are going to bring additional challenges to the ship. The margin of error is going to be less because we're talking about fuels that are probably going to be supplied at or near the 0.5% sulfur limit, as opposed to currently HFO, which is on average about two and a half percent, well below the three and a half percent sulfur limit. Um, and so, you know, you, you need to make sure that the crew is aware of these types of fuels and the issues with the fuels. And and again, there's a lot of guidance now being prepared based on a lot of IMO's guidance. Uh, by the industry, uh, ICS have produced guidance. Uh, uh, there's a joint industry guidance as well, which is very useful and very proactive. And even um, the training company Videotel have produced a free uh, sulfur uh, training module. And, and again, that's available free for people to access. So all these things are very important and, and help uh, ships and their crew prepare for the for the new rule. So we have heard a few organisations primarily representing tram shipping interests, mm. in which you know very well, you know, there are a lot of owners with one or two vessels at times, very limited scale and, and uh, financial flexibility in many cases, still express concerns about the implementation of this limit and what it means both for them, but also more, more generally in terms of safety, you know, uh, predicting that there could be accidents in the first few months, that there could be incidents with the fuels, and you discussed a little bit the onboard um, handling of these fuels, that aspect. Are you are you basically confident that enough has been done to assuage those concerns? And if so, why do you think they still come up two months away from the limit? Well, I, I, I mean, you know, they they, they you know they've been raised by, as you say, some some in this sector, but not universally. I think if if there was a widespread concerns expressed about the rule and the issues with the uh, the new compliant fuel oils. Uh, then obviously as, a, as the regulator, the safety regulator, as much as the environmental protection regulator, we need, would need to take on board those concerns and, and obviously uh, review. But they, they aren't. They're, they're, they're limited to, to, a few, to a few voices. Um, they're also um, from sectors such as, the, as you say, the tramp sector, where uh, from an operational point of view, the challenge is to find compliant fuel oil. Um, but, you know, these aren't risks that are, are, are not necessarily new. And I would suggest you know that that you know, being aware, being prepared, using the ship implementation planning enables ship owner operators and their crews to prepare for this new rule. It, it, you know, uh, you know, this is a new rule. It's a new and it's a big paradigm shift in the fuels that ships are going to be using. So it does bring some risks. But using good practice, using the guidance I already talked about, such as you know not commingling, separating the fuels, you know, making sure you 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 you, you handle the fuels correctly and have good practice on board the ship. Then you know you can mitigate the risks, uh, but as I said, they, they, you know these are new fuels and they need to be you know those risks need to be considered carefully and 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 recognised as such. So, but uh, I think that a lot of guidance out there helps people understand those risks and and will help them manage those those risks effectively. Let's look a little bit further ahead. Um, 
potential regulations coming down the line. Now, obviously, we're going to be moving on to the idea of, of decarbonisation, but before we even get there, the the sulphur limit, you know, when it was first discussed, there were there, were, there was talk of uh, increasing the um, uh, sorry decreasing the um, uh, the limit uh, in terms of sulphur level, and then of course we got the, the you know the scrubber issue. This was uh, when the regulations were first being discussed. You know, the scrubbers weren't really part of the discussion. It's come along as uh, you know part of the uh, the industry response to it. And now we are uh, hearing uh, you know, political and, and, to some extent, regulatory concerns around the uh, concept of open loop scrubbers on a national level. Do you foresee these tweaks, I guess, coming back into the IMO in terms of uh, future sulphur regulations? I mean, I think if, you, if you're referring to uh, whether uh, scrubbers might uh, you know, be banned in future or whatever, I, I mean, again, I, that question can't be answered at this moment. We have you know, contradictory evidence that's been presented in terms of the discharges uh, from open loop scrubbers and, and that evidence is under current consideration by our scientific body, the GIZAM. I think, I think you know, what it does demonstrate though clearly is, is that the sensitivity of governments to, to uh, environmental protection issues and, and, that, and, and this is something I'm afraid, you know, the shipping sector and, and us as regulators we have to are, are acutely aware of that governments are increasingly, you know, concerned about the risks they're attached to the marine environment, and and that they will, you know, if they feel that the regulatory regime is not strong enough or is not resilient enough uh, to to protect their marine environment, they will they can take under international law can take unilateral action, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 you know I, I think we have to understand that 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 is something that is is a growing issue, uh, and it's one that that is that that even from the time we adopted uh, Mar Planet 6 has grown even further because because government policies have changed and certainly action on, on protecting the marine environment has, has become even more significant politically and we've seen we've seen that alone with air pollution I mean you know every day in London almost there's a there's a, a news article about air pollution limits in London so you know that was never the case before you know <laughs> but it is now and I'm afraid this is a political reality that that we have to respond to the concerns of governments uh, in terms of marine environmental protection. As you said, I mean, the pace of um, change is accelerating, I would say, in terms of the pressures coming from society at large, from national governments, from, uh, you know, the the customers of shipping and and things to some extent are outpacing the regulatory discussion in some respects. Do do you have any sort of feeling in terms of the lessons learnt Getting from this, uh, getting to this point, you know, implementing 2020 and sulphur cap, and the work you have left to do on the decarbonisation project. We've got an intersessional um, group meeting here at the IMO in in a few weeks to start really nailing down some of the national nitty gritty of of, of decarbonisation. Mm. Now that we've got the limits, but I mean, lessons learned from sulphur as applying to to carbon. Do you think? Well, I think the sooner we can give certainty to, to the shipping sector, the better, because obviously that creates a, uh, the framework for, for not just the, the ship owner operators themselves, but also the people who are financing the ships, you know, the, the ports, they're an important part of the, 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 the equation here, particularly when it comes to decarbonisation. You know, I think giving that certainty, and to some degree that we did that with the initial strategy, it created a clear signal to, to the sector where the direction of travel that the the shipping will be going, you know, and I emphasize will be because this is not a, you know, an optional thing. It's something that we have to do. We have to respond to climate change. Uh, and I think, you know, by being certain about the way forward, it, is, it, it allows people to obviously plan and get prepared. It also sends them to very important signal outside shipping because I think it's something 
we very you know clearly understand that that the external actors are, are going to be equally important if not more important when it comes to provision of, of alternative fuels uh, the technologies that are developed um, you know we will be you know having to rely to some degree on external actors to help us achieve these reductions but it, one thing has to be clear is that, that, that this is a sector that, that needs to rely on those actors uh, to help us to achieve those goals and, and we will have the goals we'll, we'll, we'll we can set goals for things like energy efficiency of the ships, and we've done that very, very successfully, technical measures um, for ships. But when it comes to uh, some of the other things, it's going to require external uh, access to help us achieve those goals. Mm -hmm. and, and, but it, it's important that the sooner we are clear with our goal uh, and sooner that we uh, you know, can demonstrate that this is something we're working towards, then the sooner that those internal actors will respond. But as you say, I mean, you know, that the industry wants certainty, but certainty is uh, it's not, not exactly forthcoming. There, there are so many external factors that have very little to do with ships and shipping that are going to affect this debate. Mm. Do you not think that the IMO is in any danger of uh, losing some of the consensus that it has, I guess, in, in other issues? The IMO is a very good technical agency, as, as you say, able to apply safety and technical standards uh, across the industry but so much of this has very little to do with the industry how does the IMO integrate itself into the wider debate I guess in terms of climate change um, well I think we already do that I mean you know I myself have been to several uh, uh, comp meetings to sort of you know to, to, to sort of explain the role of international shipping and its importance to things like trade uh, you know, and explain the role, and but also to explain from a technical perspective that you know we are. I mean, ships are the largest machines on the planet, and they need a lot of energy to move them around. It's particularly in the oceans, where the environment can be very aggressive. Um, you know, so to explain that and explain that to achieve you know, for for the sector to fully contribute to the the climate change agenda, uh, which we want to do, and we've now clearly set um, uh, 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 we've. A message that this is what we want to do through the initial strategy mm -hmm. um, that to do that though we're going to need uh, a support and we're going to need assistance and, and I think you know we can you know advocate on that uh, as the regulator and that gives you know as long as we're credible about it and I think that's an important question you know we have to remain credible and and, the, and I can assure you that, that one way to undermine our credibility is to to agree rules and regulations uh, mandatory rules and regulations and then suddenly decide not to implement them or suddenly row back on them or have weak implementation you know we can only be seen as as the advocate uh, to for to put the the technical arguments for the sector uh you know why there are challenges but you know we have to have the credibility to do that at the mm. same time credibility and of course consistency i mean one of mm. the um constant battles the imo has fought over the years is the consensus uh, that it has within its member states. You know, you, the IMO is really nothing more than the collective will of its 174 member state governments. Mm. The danger, of course, is that when you get into these complicated discussions that you don't have a consistent application. You have, you have a lowest common denominator application of rules, but you're already, in terms of your remit around air pollution and efficiency, you have higher standards in certain states. You, mm. there, there is almost a sort of patchwork quilt of these regulations coming through and do you think the shipping industry is in danger of having to deal with you know a lot of uh, national um, restrictions on top of uh, IMO standards well I, I I do I mean I think I think uh, I think you know, governments potentially you know will 
question. I mean, as they move, uh, whether it be air pollution or decarbonisation, have rules and requirements at national level, uh, they will look at and examine international shipping and say, well, you know, why is it these vessels are not complying with even our standards or, or even close to our standards? And, and I think that, that is... That is that is a huge challenge. I mean, this is why you know we always say you know international regulations are the best because they remove those barriers to trade. But I think the reality, again, politically, is that is that you know unless we are seen, as I say, and and as you rightly say, uh, are acting to 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 uh, bring forward uh, uh, requirements that that are seen as contributing to the various policy issues and particularly environmental uh, policy issues. That there is a, a risk, a significant risk, that the governments will sort of question the whole right of innocent passage and and, and say, hang on a minute, you know, these ships, they do bring economic, you know, benefits to our our states, but at the same time, you know, the risks of uh, of the environmental damage are, are, are significant, and we have to address those. So, so I, I you know, I, I think we we have seen that. We've provided, going back to the air pollution side, we have provided a, a method. Uh, for emission control areas to be to be designated under IMO rules, and and that that allows states who want more stringent requirements to do that. Now, mm. whether we see that with other policy areas, I don't know. But uh, we have special areas, for example, already for for under other um, requirements. Um, there may be a more of that in future, but at the moment, um, you know, as I said, I think the the the, the great strength is for uh, for IMO is to prepare global regulations because that is recognized as 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 assisting and supporting the sector uh, to achieve its goals yeah so you're talking about the future but more towards the present and the recent past um it's been over 18 months now since the imo adopted this historic initial strategy um, are you actually satisfied with the progress that's been made since I am. I mean, I think we've had to. Uh, there was obviously when we adopted the strategy, it was a it was a historic uh, decision. Um, we then have to, having adopted the strategy, we had to work out what worked. You know, come up with a, a follow up action plan of the to, to decide which was the priorities and what we should be working on. Uh, that was agreed. Uh, we are now at a stage where we are going to be considering in two weeks' time at the intersessional meeting concrete proposals for operational energy efficiency requirements for ships mm. you know this is progress uh, you know we we adopted it uh, sorry we approved at, at MEPC in May uh, uh, amendments to Marple Annex 6 to strengthen the EDI uh, which was again part of the first ambition that was identified in the strategy uh, we've, we've we've adopted a resolution on ports we are talking about national action plans for governments you know, there is enormous amount of work going on uh, already under the strategy or under the auspices of the strategy and 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 i say very important work we've seen and not just that we've seen action by the industry itself you know with things like the poseidon principles and you know responding to the, the signal that the, the strategy said you know again equally important waiting for imo i, I was you know it, you know to, to do everything is not going to be the case here we have to rely on others outside the organization to help us to achieve the goals, and that was seen already. We're seeing you know, action being taken by the ports, for example. So, so, so I, as I said, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I believe that the progress is good, and I believe that we are, you know, we are heading in the right direction. And, and certainly next year, we will see further amendments approved to Mar Planet Six, certainly on energy efficiency, which is important. It's an important part of the stage. All right. So we do have the intersessional that you mentioned. Is there anything happening on the sidelines of these political and technical negotiations that the IMO, you know, is already taking on? 
Yes, indeed, and uh, there are there there is, and and it's clearly recognised within the strategy that that to deliver uh, the strategy we need uh, a significant amount of work on. Uh, technical cooperation and capacity building and certainly we've we've already had uh, and it's acknowledged within the strategy uh, the, the work we've done with the GLOMEET project and the Global Maritime Network, the MTCCs but also other projects now coming forward like the uh, the Green Voyage 2050 supported by Norway uh, to, to look at, uh, you know, we've just had a call out with for governments to for, for proposals to, to be part of that that work and, and that will be sort of focusing very much on on demonstrating technologies because that's a key part of making sure that we can you know in developing countries that we can uh, share technology and demonstrate the value of the technology to those countries and and, and obviously learn about the technologies learn about their, their 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 capabilities and and how they can how they should be properly and effectively implemented so that is again a very important part of this equation the capacity building element wonderful uh, Edmund Hughes head of air pollution and energy efficiency at the International Maritime Organization thank you very much for joining the Lloyd's List podcast thank you Thank you.